Welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard McLean. And I'm Isaac Stewart. And this is Please Leave a Message. will be episode 41 and I'm toying around with changing the uh, numbering system so I think we're going to be season 4 episode 2. Okay. Well, we'll see. Too bad we're not here for uh, episode 42. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're called Please Leave a Message because we have a phone number that you can call into. The phone number is 801-SKETCH-1. So that's 801-753-8241. You can find us at pleaseleavemessage.com. We have an Instagram account. We're at Message Podcast. Anything that we talk about that's visual, I'll try to post pictures there so you can see what we're talking about. And you can also send us an email at pleasepodcast at gmail.com. Let everybody know who you are and what you do. I'm Isaac Stewart. I uh, am the art director for Dragonsteel Entertainment. Uh, Dragonsteel is the uh, company that Brandon Sanderson, author Brandon Sanderson, created to hold his properties and that's who we work for. So I'm his art director. I, I started out with that, uh, doing maps for him, and it just kind of eventually led into the job that I have now. That's a real generalization on how that happened, because uh, I, I did work in animation, video games, that sort of thing for 10 years before I went full-time with Brandon. But I was, during that 10 years, I was also doing maps and symbols and things for him on the side. So. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, we have some messages. Awesome. I think let's jump right into those because, honestly, we don't always get messages, so I'm really glad that people called in this time. Cool. And I haven't actually listened to these yet. Okay. Scary. So it'll be a surprise for both of us, and uh, I think that'll be a good way to get us started. Cool. Hi, Isaac. I just want to know all about your new book and everything that went into it. Hope you have a good time at the podcast. I recognize his voice. I know who that is. <laughs> Hi, Ravi. I hope that's okay that I've let everybody know your voice here. So, uh, hi. Thanks for calling in. Um, so, the book that I have coming out this year is called Monsters Don't Wear Underpants. Okay. A Lift the Flap book. Oh, yeah. I saw some of <laughs> I saw that. I thought that was such an awesome idea. <laughs> so, uh, I just turned um, most of the art into the... Uh, the publisher, I say most of the art because we are um, doing some revisions on the cover right now, but it comes out in August. It's a board book, a lift the flap book. The title is supposed to make you go, mm, what, what is this about? And then you find out that uh, it is much more innocuous than, is that the right word? Uh, yeah. <laughs> than what the title would say. It, it's a very fun book, I think, for kids. I've read it too many to try to gauge their reactions right. and, and make sure that some of these punchlines work both for adults and for kids. Okay. But it's it's primarily a kid's book that hopefully adults won't hate reading to their kids. Okay. So that comes out in on August 1st from Familius. I, I've had a good time putting that together. I'm excited for it to come out. I, I always thought, okay, so Brandon, my friend Brandon, who's also kind of my boss, co-worker and everything, he got his sixth book published. So the sixth book that he wrote is the one that was accepted and then later published. A friend of ours, Dan Wells, it was the same thing. His sixth book is the one that got published. And I wasn't thinking about this when I was writing my books. I wrote a bunch of fantasy novels, wrote a middle grade fantasy, wrote, yeah, those sorts of things, because I love fantasy and I wanted to write epic fantasy. And then I had this idea for a kid's book, and lo and behold... It's my sixth book, so of course, <laughs> it's the one that gets published. I set out to write epic fantasy and wound up writing picture books about underpants. <laughs> so you just never know where paths may take you. Life never takes you the way you think no. it's going to. No, no. <laughs> so great. Yeah, I don't... Did you post some stuff on Instagram? About the about the book? Yeah. yeah. So I we, think that's maybe where I yeah, saw it. And, where and I was it. laughing my head off, and I'm like, honey, you got to see this. <laughs> well, uh, I, I hope that we'll be able to show more things soon uh, of that. 
But I took that same character and all through October for Inktober, I, I did different drawings of him in different books. So okay. as different characters from different books. Awesome. Now I'm looking at these next two and I think somebody called and then called again. Okay. <laughs> so, well, we can answer both of them. Hello, my name is Dina Whitney and I want to ask Isaac if he's already planning a sequel to his Monsters Don't Wear Underpants book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's not even out yet. Yeah, I, I did not. I did not put these people up to it. So uh, <laughs> I, um, I know who Dina is as well. Thank you for calling, Dina. This I was actually just talking to my agent about this today, and we're hoping that if the book does well, we will do a sequel. But I have, I have a lot of sequels planned to this board book if it sells well enough that it warrants sequels. Right. So right now we haven't sold it or anything, the sequel. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to stay tight lipped on what it's about, but it's fun. Okay. Hi, my name is Dina and I'm calling on behalf of my friend Isabella who can't call. She wants to know from Isaac, uh, you used a Julia set as an inspiration for Rochar. How did you come up with that idea and did your, you design any other maps with a similar inspiration? Also, how does the review phase of your designs look like, especially, you know, with feedback from Brandon or any of the other authors you work with? And she also wants to know, why do some of the designs of the Radiant Glyphs look more alike than others? Thank you. Bye. There's like 12 questions in there. Right. So yeah. The... So let's uh, let's uh, break this down. So first off, thanks, Dina. And thanks, Isabella. Thanks. That's very nice of you, uh, Dina, to uh, ask a question for her. Your first question is, how did I wind up using the Julia set as inspiration for the world of Roshar? Well, that's actually something that Brandon came to me and he said, he showed me this little image that he'd found online. It wasn't very big at all. Just this fuzzy picture of the Julia set. And he said, do you think you could turn that into a map? And I said, yeah, I think I can. So that's what I did. We just used that shape, but all of the uh, coastline and the way that that the shapes within the big shape work, I just kind of had to make that up and and sort of look at other uh, Google Maps and other maps and things and try to make it have a verisimilitude of uh, being real, if that makes any sense. So I didn't come up with that myself. That was uh, Brandon's idea. Have I designed any other maps with a similar inspiration? So this is an interesting question because I see maps everywhere. When I was in the Philippines and walking on the street, I would see places where somebody had mixed concrete and then it had, and they'd scooped up most of it, but they'd somehow forgotten some and it had dried and it looked like a map to me. And everything in nature kind of looks like maps. The, the way that bark looks on trees or um, stains on sidewalks. Uh, this, excuse me for saying this, but stains in restrooms are some of the best. <laughs> so I find myself in very odd places taking pictures when I see a cool stain or a cool, the way that the snow has melted and left some of the snow or ice behind. And um, I have used some of these at times for maps or pieces of it because they look so real to me. They look more real than anything that I could do just making my hand kind of do an earthquake thing. I had mentioned this. There's a book that Ken Jennings wrote called Maphead, and um, I talked to, to him in that about a guacamole lid that we'd pulled off of guacamole, and it looked like a map. And I'm like, Kara, don't throw that away. I need to take a picture. <laughs> so um, that's maybe the most famous one, but I, I never used that one for a map. But every night when I was brushing my teeth, you know, the little drain thing in yeah. your sink that yeah. looks kind of it's circular it has a bit of a convexness is that the right word yes. or is it yeah that's correct so um it felt like a planet in a way from one and and there was a stain on it from water going on there and toothpaste and all these things and i and i noticed it was shifting over time and i'm like i, I need to take a picture of this before that cool shape goes away so i took a picture of it and i wound up using that for one of the continents on brian mcclellan's powder mage books the fatrasta continent is i got it out of my sink <laughs> but i bet that's one of the ones that i took a picture i filed it away and i thought that just is such a cool shape i need to use that somewhere special and that i wound up using it on um, brian's books so yeah you'll find me taking pictures in weird places like uh yeah occasionally i am in the restroom stall and i'll see something i'm like <laughs> i gotta take a picture of that and i'm like is there anybody else in here <laughs> 
So I turn off the little thing from your camera, and then I wind up taking a picture of some weird stain in a restroom. Um, but uh, these, a lot of these just never get used. But I do go back through my, my uh, camera and, and see, okay, what are, what are some things that I could use here? What, what are some shapes that I think are really cool? Also, how does the review phase of your design look like? Especially, you know, with feedback from Brandon or any of the other authors you work with. That is usually, it depends on if I'm, uh, depends on which author I'm working with and which publisher. And I'm going to throw this caveat out there that as of this year, I have stopped working with other publishers and that this is not because I don't want to do maps, but I have other things that I want to do now. So I'm kind of saving my map work for my day job with Brandon. So that's where you'll see my map work in the future. There's still a few other outstanding projects um, with other authors that I will finish up series. But after that, I've, I've got some um, cool things that are coming in the future that hopefully we'll be able to announce at some point. But I, I need that time freed up. So if I'm working with a publisher, I'm usually going through an art director and don't have a whole lot of contact with the author. But in those cases, oftentimes they've had the author already draw up a map. And then I, my job then is to make it look like a real place, make it look like a real map, make sure that it fits on a page of a book. Well, I mean, that, that's this may sound weird, but this is for all of you budding authors out there or authors who are looking into doing fantasy novels and maps. It makes it a whole lot easier if you can fit that map on a on one page or two pages of a book rather than some weird squirrely shape because there's a map ma maker somewhere who's going to have to figure out how do I fit this into the size of a book. Right. I wind up doing some crazy things sometimes like north not necessarily at the top of the map just because it it reads better this this other way. So I'll work with a, an art director with publishers usually. Um, and that's a little bit of back and forth. Mostly it's taking what the author has already drawn, making it look pretty, and um, following the design guidelines that the uh, art director has given. I usually don't have a ton of changes going back and forth that way. When I work with authors, however, it, it's a little bit more collaborative when I can work directly with them because then I can go to them and say, did you know that this river is running uphill <laughs> or, or things like that. And I say, if there's not a magical reason for this, then maybe, maybe we change that. Or I'll read the book, come up with a map and it shows gaps in the knowledge. And I'll say, what's here? And it makes the author say, oh, I don't know what's there. Let's, let's fill that in. But it's usually a back and forth where I draw something up. I show it to the author. The author asks for changes and we discuss them and then I go back to the drawing board and make those fixes. So a lot of back and forth. And Isabella asks, why do some of the designs of the radiant glyphs look more alike than others? The way that those were developed, I, I had already done the Mistborn symbols at this point and I wanted to do something completely different and so did Brandon. And so I developed a grouping of shapes that all looked similar and then I would use those then I took out an app that would allow me to draw symmetrically. When I had a moment here or there waiting, I would pull up this app on an iPod and I would draw these symmetrical designs until I, I, I had dozens and dozens of these and I had to narrow it down to 10. And so I narrowed it down to the 10 that I thought looked coolest because at this point we still don't know a ton about all the different orders of Knights Radiant, but um, that it's slowly getting revealed, right? So I kind of had to go off of what knowledge I had of each of the knights radiant at that point, which wasn't a lot. We're talking maybe a handful of words per order. And then I just picked which of those symmetrical designs that I, that I kind of made them look like swords. I picked which ones looked coolest to me. And then I tried to match them to the orders in a way that I thought would work. But then we started running out of time with the <laughs> publisher trying to get this out. And so at some point, as I was fitting the, I, I told you I developed also a system of symbols that I could kind of fit inside those um, to try to make them feel cohesive. I just ran out of time. And so I had to make them feel as cohesive as I could within the time allotment that I've had. And I, I wish that I could go back and change a few of them. But at this point, they are what they are. But I, I think that all each of them have something unique about them. 
I'm really happy with how they turned out, regardless of how much you, you can sit and tweak something forever. Right. Somebody said, and I and I think that Neil Gaiman quoted them: "Art is never finished, just abandoned." Yeah. And so that's one of those cases where the deadline came in and said, "You have to abandon this." And, and the other one I like to say is, uh, "Perfection is the enemy of done." <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, I could still be tweaking those. Who knows? Seven years later, ten years later. Holy cow! It's been ten years <laughs> since that book came out. Sneaks up on you. I think there was one more. Okay. Hello. I'd like to ask Isaac if there's any world that he would like to build a map for that he hasn't gotten to do yet, just for fun or sell it to the author. Thank you. Bye. Is that Dina again? I appreciate you guys calling in so that we have some things to talk about. This is great. Uh, So she asks if there is any map or author that I would like to work with in the future. Since I've kind of pulled back on that, there's only a few, actually. If I was asked to do a Wheel of Time map, I would do that in a heartbeat. And um, that might be the only one <laughs> that, I, that I can really think of. I'm, I've already got basically my dream job doing, doing maps for books that I think are fantastic. I would make an exception for uh, the Wheel of Time. Very cool. A cool story is I did get to do maps for the book, for, for this, a series of books that got me into fantasy. When I was a young teenager... Uh, my aunt sent my dad a paperback copy of Tad Williams' The uh, Dragonbone Chair. I got to that book before my dad did. I opened it. I hadn't read fantasy before at this point. Um, and it was this big, thick book with awesome cover art by Michael Whalen. And it had these really intriguing maps inside them. And the book was great. And that's what got me into reading epic fantasy. A few years ago, Tad went back to that world and is writing a new trilogy set in Ostenard, I got asked to uh, do the maps. And that that was really cool for me to get to work with them, to have Michael Whalen doing covers, Tad Williams writing the book. But instead of the maps being also done by Tad Williams, they were done by me. And that that's something that my 13-year-old self would just be squeeing about. But let, let's be honest, my 40-year-old self <laughs> is squeeing about that too. So... That that's that's something that I made an exception for and said I'm gonna I'm gonna do these and, and and it was really worthwhile. I loved getting to work with Tad and with his business partner and wife Deborah and uh, and and all of the people that he has surrounding him are all fantastic. So that's that's really cool actually. <laughs> <laughs> I read a lot of things about putting together adventures for like role playing games and stuff. Yeah, and I saw one the other day that was like my favorite one that I'd ever seen on like how to put together a map for okay. your world. Huh? And it was like, peel an orange, and keep <laughs> all the pieces, and kind of assemble them the way that they were around the orange. There's your continent. That is awesome. And, and start there and then build off from that. That is awesome. I, <laughs> I, have, I have peeled oranges and thought about computer graphics and how it's like unwrapping the unwrapping the mesh so that you can paint on it and unwrapping maybe a globe, right? Mm -hmm. But I never went that step farther to say, this is a continent. What a brilliant idea. And the other one that I really liked that I saw recently was you put out like your, your map, your like dry erase map on the table, and then you just roll a certain number of dice. It Mm -hmm. had like a number. And then it was like, if it's this kind of dice, then you're you make this, you know, huh. this in this area, and this in this area, and you kind of you would draw around the dice different things, and it showed a pretty cool map that had been built off that at the end that That's I really cool. liked. I hadn't seen that one before. Yeah. I I'd, I'd seen the one where you take a dry macaroni and throw it out, and then trace the macaroni. Okay, <laughs> um, th- these are all fantastic ideas. That's way fun. But anything to get something that's just really organic. Yeah, like your stain collection is just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see shapes and stuff like that too, but it's never really been maps. But I've got one. Huh. I've got one that I took on the sidewalk over at UVU one day, and I think somebody had just had a leaking coffee cup. <laughs> and the way that it had, and it spilled, it was pretty long. Right. And so I had to take multiple pictures to get the whole thing in. If you stood back and looked at it, it was a sea dragon. Oh, that's cool. And I'm like, this is the coolest sea dragon I've ever seen. I still haven't done the painting based off of it, but I, I've, I've still got those. And I'm like, I've got to do a painting of this. That That is such point. a cool idea that uh, <laughs> you totally need to do that and paint that yeah. sea dragon. I mean, it was because... so awesome. Like just the shape and the way that it, it waved and it had like a loop in it even. And yeah, it was just, 
I that's not a shape I would have come up on my own, but it's just so cool. Right. Well, I, I think that that's something that I think we could use more often in art. There's a friend of mine. His name is Sean Boyles. Goes by Spike the Surf Dog online, <laughs> and he does. He's a character designer for video games and, and animations, feature films, and things like that. He's always looking for that next weird, cool shape that he can that he can turn into a character. And, right. and so he'll fill fill sketchbooks of here's a sketchbook. All it is, all that I have drawn in the sketchbook are sharks or okay. or elephants or zombies, and and he'll just try to find in as many ways as he can think of to do a weird, cool thing that it's so stretched out of proportion that you wouldn't think that it could become a shark, but he will turn it into a shark. And I think we could do, it's, it's like seeing pictures in the, in the cloud. Right. This is something that we can tap into a little bit more to kind of uh, spur our creative juices. Oh, uh, this, this reminds me of something. I still have a section of carpet from the church that I grew up in that I grew up mm-hmm. attending when I was a kid, they, they were ripping out the old carpet and recarpeting the whole building. And I stole a piece of that carpet <laughs> because I mean, they were just throwing it away. So right. it wasn't really yeah. theft, but I took a piece of that because I used to sit in church and I would stare at the floor and see faces and shapes and all kinds of things right. in the crazy weird orange carpet that <laughs> that church had. And I think that's still rolled up in my old room at my parents' house. <laughs> so speaking of churches and, and interesting shapes, I also, at our church, the folding chairs that come out, the lacquer or whatever is on there rubs off in interesting ways okay. from people sitting on them all the time. So I have a collection of all these church chairs that it's like, <laughs> why does this guy take pictures of folding church chairs? It's because they all have maps on them that uh, people have sat on, you know? That's crazy. So it, it's kind of cool. That's another another thing where I find a lot of uh, map inspiration. Very cool. We try to feature some kind of found audio on the show. Okay. And uh, you brought some stuff for us. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So when I was working as an animator at a, a studio that was in Sandy, I worked with another uh, animator named uh, Nigel Style, which is an awesome name, but he's an even awesomer, if that's even a word, guy. He's great. He taught me how to animate. He had gone to, I believe, Sheridan. Okay, <clears throat> I good think. school. He taught me what he, some of the things that he learned there, which really opened my eyes to becoming a better animator. We were under some pretty heavy deadlines at the time at the studio that we were at. And I think that he and I were the only two animators left at that point. And so we kind of buddied up and there was a sound studio on the main floor. And at lunch, after we would eat, we... I can't remember how this came up, but I started bringing in my my electric guitar and he started bringing in his drums and we just started jamming and we had a really good time with this and we found that it relieved a lot of stress from the day job uh, from being there. It gave us something to look forward to in the middle of the day. It became kind of a creative thing too. So we we just started uh, writing songs on the fly. He'd come up with a drum beat, I'd come up with a riff and then I'd start singing and he'd start singing and we'd come up with lyrics and things. And, and then we'd record it in three takes and then it was done. Okay. So that that's kind of what we tried to do, at least with the first ones. And, and we we wound up making three albums and a Greatest Hits album. Fantastic. And we, nev- we never played for a crowd ever. But we would put these up on the network and people at work would find them and start listening to them. And, <laughs> and nobody could believe that. They're like, who is that? That Isaac? <laughs> holy cow, that doesn't sound like Isaac. That sounds like a drug-crazed weirdo. (laughs) I wouldn't say that... So, Nigel is a fantastic drummer, and he deserved a way better guitarist than he got. So, I I wouldn't say I'm a real musician, but we we sure had a good time. Awesome. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Firehouse Five. Have you heard of them? I'm not sure. Animators from the oh, early days at right. Disney. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So it was the Firehouse Five, and then they would join in with other people. So they've got albums that are like the Firehouse Five Plus Two or <laughs> or whatever. Right. And I've, I've I've got a few of those, actually. Oh, that's fun. And, uh, yeah, they were just like... So there's there's something to that. <laughs> yeah, I, it, exercising a different creative muscle, I think. We called our band Control Z, C-T-R-L-Z, because Nigel is from Canada, they say Z for Z there, and we just thought, hey, control Z, because then after you've listened to this, maybe you'll wish you could undo it. No, not really, <laughs> but I don't want to deprecate it very much, because I, I feel like we had 
a good thing going and it was very fun for both of us and and my my only regret is that Nigel didn't have a better guitarist. <laughs> well, I can understand that. I was a bass player in a band, and I was probably the weakest link. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what should we listen to? So um, we can listen to just about anything. But the one I thought maybe we could take from our latest album, latest meaning our last album, that we did in 2006 called Food. That was our album name. But one of my favorite songs on there is Barbecution. This is my brother, it's kind of a funny guy, and he wrote this song called Barbecution, but it was more a poem. And he said, why don't you write a song to that? So I had this riff kind of sticking around in my head that I'd kind of do sometimes and I kind of liked. And so, and it seemed to fit really well. And so we wrote this song called Barbecution. This was after the point where we did the three take thing. I think we recorded this album in seven hours. And by the end, my hand was just cramped from, from Barbecution. And it's not that it's a difficult riff. It's just kind of the way that your hand has to be held to do it. Okay. On the food exclamation point album. It's nuclear powered That's just my luck It's rhino size and comes in black We'll grill up enough meat To give you heart attack Barbecution is my solution To a world of insane Pollution. I need a flame broiled transfusion. On a world I live on meat, I ran out of food, so I grilled up my feet. And all I think about is meat galore as soon as I'm done. I gotta grill up some more I can't escape this trap I'm cooked for good You better run before I light up my grill and wood Barbecution is my solution To this world of insane delusions No substituting this meat pollution I need a flame for transfusion Barbecution takes its toll on me Barbecution won't you let me be I'm grilling everything inside Barbecution keeps me up at night Barbecution is my solution To a world of insane delusions I'm substituting this heat pollution I need a flame broil That just took me back to when I listened to Dr. Mento. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the so that was after seven hours of recording. And, right. and we, we didn't layer tracks usually or anything like that. It was just, we got to do this. It's and raw. I like it's it. It's just completely raw. I think that we should have done that one near the beginning rather near <laughs> than near the end. You can hear my vocal cords giving out. My fingers aren't doing the right thing on the guitar, playing the wrong note. <laughs> I played the wrong note a lot of times, but still there's, I still really like that song. It was just a lot of fun making that one. And I don't know if you want to hear any more, we can do some more. 
Sure, let's do another one. Sidekick Secretary is kind of a different one. This is about Superman's secretary. So we were talking about okay. uh, before the podcast Superman a little bit. So may- maybe this is something that you'll appreciate. Definitely. It's about Superman's secretary. So I, I always liked Superman. My dad was a big Superman fan. I used to watch the old black and white TV show. I used to watch episodes of that with him when we caught them. And then the very first comic book I ever bought was one of those digest size that you buy oh, yeah. at a grocery store. Yeah. And it was an anthology of a bunch of Superman oh, that's stories. Cool. Yeah. And I've still got it. It's kicking around. It's like pretty beat up, but it's still with my comics collection. And then I got into comics again in like junior high, high school, because all my friends were into comics. And I was like, really a Superman guy. And, and that's when they killed Superman. Mm. And so that that's what got me that at that point I got a subscription and they were mm-hmm. like sent to my door. Oh, cool. It was yeah. so great. It was the death of Superman. Oh, okay. So that was like an, a year long story arc mm-hmm. and Superman had four titles. And so they'd each come out monthly, but it was one story that flowed through all oh, of them. Oh, okay, cool. And so you'd get one a week mm-hmm. and on that, on the like four times a year that there's a fifth week, they would do some like completely unreleded story and you'd have to actually go to the comic book store to pick that up because it wasn't part of this right, subscription yeah. but uh, but th- those were fun and then they did a story arc superman comics with no superman in it huh and it was called a world without superman interesting it was so good and then they brought him back right and yeah. there was yeah. the reign of the superman so they're like four different superman and everybody was like is this the real superman is that the real superman and then they finally got the real Superman back. Anyway, so I'm looking forward to this song. See, I can, I can sit and listen to these all day because it takes me di- back down memory lane. Right. <laughs> Who keeps Superman organized? Psychic secretary. Who knows the secrets to the blue disguise? Psychic secretary. Who does the laundry and who makes the meals? Who has the super on the Rolodex wheel? Sidekick Secretary Sidekick Secretary Who files Superman's paperwork Sidekick Secretary Who is an underpaid super clerk Sidekick Secretary Who gets no bonus for working all night Installing water machines that built the kryptonite Sidekick Secretary Sidekick Secretary Where would we be if the man of steel Couldn't keep track of his utility bills How would he feel cause he'd always be late To pick up the ones from the Saturday late He's still lousy like a loser Cause I'm a scary without a sidekick Secretary Sidekick Secretary Sidekick Secretary Cakes, crypto, or a walk. Sidekick, secretary. Who wants to kiss when Lois wants to talk? Sidekick, secretary. Who plans vacation? Superman's in the mood. Who sweeps the fortress of solitude? Sidekick, secretary. Sidekick, secretary. Where would we be if the man of steel? Couldn't keep track of his utility bills How would he feel cause he'd always be late To pick up Lois from the Saturday days If he loves it like a loser Cause life is scary Without a sidekick secretary Sidekick secretary Sidekick secretary Sidekick secretary Sidekick secretary Love it. You know what that reminds me of? They Might Be Giants have an album. I think it was Miscellaneous T. Uh-huh. At the end of the album, they had, like, some some blank space, and then they had some, like, hidden tracks. Oh, they did that. I remember and them doing was, that on was, another one. It was all of... And, and every single one of the songs was about a different Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> and they were oh. all... They were all, like... They made them up on the spot. They, oh, that's great. Yeah. And like, so the sound quality is just horrible because it was right. like just from like some live show and for some reason somebody was recording it and 
but they ins- they included that on one of their albums. And oh, that's fun. <laughs> they might be giants is great. This one just makes me laugh. Sidekick Secretary. We had a lot of fun with that one. I liked it, the crypto line. That was really good. <laughs> we just threw in as many kind of Superman references that that we could think of, but it, it also wound up telling this story of oh. Superman's got a, his sidekick secretary who takes care of things. Maybe things aren't as good as they ought to be. Superman's not paying him enough. <laughs> you know, he's kind of forgotten and not really appreciated. Maybe he makes a few moves on Superman's girlfriend at some... <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, because he's, he's sort of, uh, you know, feeling underappreciated. I don't know. It was, it, we didn't do that intentionally. That would just wound up, oh, there's this sort of story right. that we accidentally told through that. Um, another fun thing on that is that we, we practiced a lot to get that. There's that extra beat in the chorus where utility bills, uh, you know, <laughs> Nigel in the background. And he was, I mean, he's a drummer. He was great at timing. I wasn't so much. I mean, I, it's surprising that we could get these songs out at all because my hands and my legs won't do what my body tells them to do. Mm. I, I, I can't dance or anything like that. So this is, this is the height of my timing skills right here, which is interesting because you also need timing to be an animator. Yes. And timing is so important. I always found that when I was animating where you just kind of feel it, mm-hmm. sympathetic kinesthesiology or something like that, hmm. where just because you've moved in life, yeah. You can feel the movement, but not everybody can kind of tap into that right. as well as other people. I, it, for, to me, it kind of came naturally. Right. I never timed things by like planning it out. I just kind of, oh, yeah. I kind of felt it, kind of felt the way that it was supposed to. Interesting. I was just kind of, that was what I did when I, yeah, there, when I would animate. There were a couple of ways to do animation. And one of those is the, where you plan it out more of that keyframe animation. And then there's the other one where it's more straightforward animation, which is a little bit relies a little bit more on that, that yeah, so that feeling I, it a bit. I couldn't just do like the straightforward. So what I would have to do is I would, I would do my keyframes, mm-hmm. but then what I filled in the keyframes with is kind of how I just kind of felt it out. How yeah. I felt it was supposed to go. Interesting. Yeah. So oh, that's cool. That was just kind of my method. So there's a song on the album Food that I, I wish that we could share with you, but I think we would get into copyright concerns. And this is, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you about it. It's okay. called The Ballad of George Lucas. Okay. Um, and what we did was we took the prequels okay. and we took every line about love okay. in the prequels and we fit them into a song. We found some rhymes we found things things like that even the we we had room for things like i don't like sand it gets everywhere (laughs) things like that these lines that happened in the conversations between padme and anakin and um it's like a seven minute long song it's called the ballad of george lucas i think that would fall solidly under parody law but yeah (laughs) i mean if you wanted to you could play the riff before we ever say anything um except i think that nigel edited in some Wookiee sounds so we might get in trouble with that but uh, rest assured we had a we had a lot of fun that with sounds that great one. we were talking about comics earlier yeah. mm-hmm. we're just kind of perusing my shelf over here kind of talking about comics i got into comics because i wanted to be an animator right and at the time there weren't computer programs that you could just download off the internet it was excruciatingly difficult to find a light desk Unless you built it. Right. And they're so expensive. Yeah. And so I did what I could, but I never, I didn't actually do any real animation until I got to college and they had some resources there that Mm -hmm. I could use. Before that, it was just, well, I want to animate. I want to tell stories and my friends are all into comics, so I'll do comics. And so that's kind of what got me into, to doing that. And I also had friends that they wanted to do film mm-hmm. um, and we had some like cheap cameras, but we didn't, couldn't afford all the special effects we wanted to do. And so they kind of, they told the stories that they wanted to through comics that they couldn't right. quite do with the equipment we had. I, I did some uh, comics in junior high and some, some animation at some point because I, I think there was a merit badge and I was a boy okay. scout. There was a, the cinematography merit badge had just come out. And I was going to the local college, Rick's College at the time, and doing this merit badge powwow. And okay. over three or four successive Saturdays, right? And we had to film something. And what I did was I decided I am going to animate Ninja Turtles because it was a big comic at the time. And I think there had been some movies with guys in you know rubber suits 
by that point, I can't remember if that was out yet. So I animated these Ninja Turtles, like throwing their weapons around. And I did it with a VHS camera. So I couldn't go frame by frame. It right. was basically as fast as I could press the record and stop it. And that was my frame. And right. then I did the next one and the next one. And then I showed these three seconds of animation for my, my merit badge. So that was the first thing that I remember animating with technology. Before that, it was all flip books and things like that. So the, the first thing I did, my dad knew I was in animation. We had an eight millimeter film camera. Mm-hmm. And that's it, it. Also, I couldn't go frame by frame. Right, it didn't have that setting, so it was the same thing. We just just quickly as you can, just quickly as you can. At least it, it was just a trigger, and you'd hold it down, and it would go. And so mm-hmm. it was just. We did one reel of that, so that was three minutes and ten wow, seconds. Oh yeah, it was just one afternoon. My sisters and mom were off gone somewhere, and so my dad's like, "Hey, let's just let's do something." And so we did the time machine, and so we had these toys and I built this time machine with these toys and I animated them getting into the machine and then they disappeared and then they went to like prehistoric times and we had a mountain built with blankets and some dinosaur <laughs> toys and stuff and uh, I wish I could find that's that. That's really fun. <laughs> that's really awesome too that your father encouraged those sorts of uh, sorts of things. I remember being really young and doing a slideshow like that mm-hmm. with my dad uh, and my brother and it, we did a Lone Ranger Oh, where they, nice. they dressed me up like the Lone Ranger, and and we were we were pretty little, and we did a little slideshow, and yeah. they, they were all, in, yeah. I wish I could find that because that would be fun. That machine sitting there on the desk, yeah, that's a telescene uh, for eight millimeter film. Oh, cool. So the other one behind it in the corner there, that one, that's a digital scanner. I came across a whole box of the eight millimeter films at my grandparents house oh wow maybe two years ago mm-hmm. my dad had been talking to me he's like hey we've got all this old eight millimeter film you do digitization is there any way we could get that transferred i said I, I need the machine and and i'd come across this one the one in the back there online i said if you buy that i'll i can digitize it i can do that and so he bought that but then when we went to go find the film we couldn't find ours but i found all that stuff at my grandma's and so I started digitizing that because I found it at my grandma's. I thought it would be mostly footage of like my aunts and uncles and stuff when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out there were quite a few reels with me on them. Oh, cool. Just little tiny me. Yeah. <laughs> Which that was, that was quite the find. Yeah. To, to watch that. And I'm like, wait a minute. That, that's, that's me. me. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. So I did that. And, but then there were some other reels and most of the reels are those, they're three inches. Mm-hmm. Those are th- three minutes and 10 seconds, I think is, is what those come to. But then there were also some seven inch reels and that machine in the back doesn't handle seven inch reels. And so I tried because of how it works. I'm like, Oh, I think if I just build some supports, I can make yeah. this work. And it kind of worked and it kind of didn't. And so I called a buddy of mine. He, at one point had that same device, but it was a newer model. And so it could handle bigger reels. And I was like, Hey, can I borrow that? And he's like, I didn't like the quality of it. So I got rid of it, but I've got this other one that'll give you way better quality. <laughs> and so he brought that over uh, the other night. So cause I've been trying to get a bunch of this stuff ready to take up to a family reunion that we're going to be having. So, uh, but it's really fun to go through and see this, this just old footage and yeah, just see things that, you kind of sort of foggily remember, mm-hmm. but then you see it and you're like, oh yeah, that's what it was like. It's yeah. really cool. Interesting. Yeah, that is really cool. What a find. We, I was at uh, my parents' house just the other night because I knew this was coming. I'm like, hey dad, can we make another like just quick effort to see if we can find our stuff? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to have this thing that can give us better footage. And he's like, yeah, stop over when you can. And so we spent maybe 45 minutes just kind of digging through the house, looking in places where maybe it might be. We didn't find it, <laughs> but we did come across a huge box of VHS-C. Do you know what that is? No. So it's a VHS compact. So oh, it's, okay. it's the same size oh, right. of tape, yeah. but it's in a smaller cartridge. Mm-hmm. And then you take that small cartridge and you put it into adapter and then you put that yeah. into My a VCR. One of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So we found a whole box of those. So he's like, well, you might as well take that yeah, because um, I, I have another thing that I was going to be digitizing, so I got to get that set up anyway. So I'm like, well, I might as well take those because – yeah. so who knows what's going to be on that stuff because that's stuff when I was – not when I was little because when I was little, we had the, the film camera. 
So this would have been stuff like teenage years for me. So I, I bet there's movies in there that I filmed with friends when I was playing right. with the camera yeah. that I wasn't supposed to be playing with the camera. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that could be fun. Because that camera was expensive. You'll, uh, <laughs> You're not supposed to be playing with that. <laughs> no, that's only for home movies. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be interesting to go through that. But that's a, it's a fun skill set to have to be able to revive old footage. Because yeah. the best thing is, is when I was taking those once I got them digitized and then I would throw them up on the family Facebook page mm -hmm. and everybody would be like, Oh, <laughs> this is so great. And yeah. It's just, I, I like the reaction I get out of them even better than my own reaction when I see it in the first place, you know, that's fun. So that's, that's cool. You wrote a, or you've been talking about this children's book you wrote. I wrote a children's book, mm -hmm. not published yet. I wrote it a while ago and I storyboarded the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing the, the artwork for it. What I had in my mind was bigger than my ability. Okay. And I was like, ah, I, I can't quite suss this out. But I, I came across some of the work the other day. And I'm like, I got I to gotta dig that back out. So I, I dug it all back out and I've been drawing the characters again. And I'm like, I mm -hmm. think if I do this in a different style, that's like just closer to what I'm comfortable with. I'm going to have a lot more fun with it. Right. Yeah. You know? I think that happens to a lot of us when when we start off in an endeavor, right? Something that uh, we get an idea for and we whatever it may be, and you realize pretty quickly, oh, I, I, I haven't made a movie before. I, I need different skills to be able to make, <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't do an effects thing because I don't know how to do 3D, you know, plus just, you know what I mean, right? right so yeah. I, I think that... Any project that we start out, we kind of bite off more than we chew. And then Every by time. reaching, though, we get better. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can dust that off later when you've done some other things and you say, oh, maybe I can accomplish this now. So you were saying that you, you've done a comic. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years ago, Spike the Surf Dog, my friend Sean Boyles and I, we did a comic called Rocket Road Trip okay. that we posted online and tried to get a following. But boy, we didn't get much of a following. It's It's tough. And like... The heyday was like the first 10 years of the internet. Yep, exactly. That was like the heyday of web comics. Mm -hmm. And now it's the thing that used to make it work was the way that the, the CSS mm -hmm. readers worked and Google had the best one and they decided not to do it anymore and they shut it down. And like every other, I've tried a few different ones and because I can't get that feeding me like it right, did before, yeah. I just, it's too much effort to follow things. Mm. And so I've just kind of, every That's once in a while, I'll think about one that I used to read all the time. Right, and yeah. I was like, what that one's up to these days? Yeah. And most of them are still up. Right, yeah. It's just, I can't follow them all like I used to. Well, and a lot of that, that market is sort of fragmented a little bit more now because you, you've got that. Plus, you've got a market of uh, comics that are being done uh, just straight from the creator to the reader mm -hmm. through things like Kickstarter and that. And right. some of those are posted online pre kickstarter campaign but some aren't you just right you consume your comics through kickstarter sometimes yeah i've got a friend that actually publishes that way i think he's on his sixth issue oh that's cool yeah and that's that's his first one up though that's that's a custom cover oh that's cool what, what what's his comic called it, that's it relics relics oh yeah that's cool but yeah the custom cover it's a nice like, one there i like to get original art when i can yeah from people makes sense that's a jason brubaker one from oh yeah one's from sithra yeah it's cool there's one from Jess Smiley. This is my pride and joy right now, though. That's that's an original Red Rider comic. Oh, cool. I was, yeah, I was eyeing that earlier and thinking, oh, that's be cool. I don't have any things like that other than Nigel would draw a comic about Bill the Violent Manatee. <laughs> Nigel, I hope that's okay that I that I mention that. And I have a couple of originals of those that I that I have in my my special art drawer mm -hmm. that I just. You know, I value those very highly because oh, yeah. they're, they're cool things that my friends have done. I need to hang them up like what you've got here. You're, you're inspiring me to go and take some of this art that I've been given and, and hang it up in places where I can appreciate it more often. So we used to sit around in art class in high school and we would draw comics and we would like mm -hmm. pass them around stuff. Oh, and then, fun. Then I would take them and I would actually put them together because we'd just draw on eight and a half yeah. by 11, fold it in half. And then do front, back, front, back, front, back. And so I would take them and then I would sew them together, actually. Oh. And so cool. I've, I've got some of those. You'd bind them. Yeah. That's cool. It's interesting where things take you because I'm I'm now helping out with some of the comics at work as well. Mm -hmm. So the, these are 
you know, I didn't really, we were talking earlier about how uh, I worked at the bookstore when I was my last two years of high school and I would sometimes get the comics that weren't bought and they tear the cover off and they would send them back in and report them as unsold and destroyed. But according to company policy, we could take some of these home and read them and because it would help inform us and be able to talk to the customers a little more. So I had comics from the era that I like Gen 13, Soul Saga, and it was, it was really the fantasy comics that drew me in a little bit more. And there weren't a whole lot of them at the time, but that, that was kind of my start in comics. I didn't get really into it until recently, actually, when my kids are reading graphic novels. And right. so now we've read Bone and Amulet and the Ben Hatke comics and the Avatar, The Last Airbender, where they continue the series. Those those are beautiful. They're drawn by, Gur- I'm going to butcher the name, Gurahiru and... and um, and I can't remember, Gene, I can't remember the guy who wrote his complete name, but his first name is Gene, and he does a fantastic job with these. And so so I've been getting into them more, especially where some of my role at work has turned into kind of producing some more of these comics, and then we'll be doing some more ourselves in the future. But, it, but it's been fun. I'm finding that I'm really enjoying that meet. I don't draw them. I have been writing some of them myself. It's a fun art form. And there's just, there's a few things that you can do with it yeah. that you can't quite do with other art forms. You can't, no. So it's, I, I really am a, I, I love comics. It seems like it's sort of, sort of a bridge between novels and, and movies, really. Novels and cinema. There's this comic book bridge that uh, um, honestly can be in some ways more easily adapted to this to cinema than a, a novel can right. because there's already that that step of visualizing it already been taken care of right speaking of which bone is coming to netflix oh really yeah oh, that's fantastic my kids and i will watch it yeah i'm, I'm excited about that oh i'm i'm really interested in to know what the voices are because when we read them we do voices right and so they're going to have completely different voices, I know, than what we had in our head. So, you know, I know yep. the bone people are not going to be listening. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they will. I don't know. You know you know, Jeff Smith out there. But the little angry bone guy whose name I can't remember right now at the moment. Uh, phony. No. Fonsible people. He's yeah. got a Boston accent in ours. Yeah. Right? This angry I've, Boston I've, accent. I've, I've heard more than one person. Say, well, actually, one person I said when he reads it out loud. That that guy had the same voice as oh, Danny DeVito. No, this no? old, this old, oh. older comedian. Oh, okay. Because um, I, I kind of thought uh, Danny DeVito would do a great job. C.W. Fields <laughs> is the voice that they did. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I, I think that's interesting. How we, we that that's the kind of one of the cool things about comics is like there's an audience participation there. Yeah, yeah. Because you're adding voice, mm-hmm. and you know. The first time I read through a comic, I usually am not even looking at the pictures, just mm-hmm. enough to see what's right. going on. Yeah, exactly. I'm literally just reading it. And then the next time I go through it, I can kind of take a minute to breathe and, and actually pay attention to what's yeah what's going on visually. It's a great medium for rereading. Yeah. Reviewing. It really is. I'm very glad that I've had comics around the house because I've had two kids that have fought reading. But once I introduce them to comics... It's an easier way to ease them into it. And I caught the one that said she would never read novels. I caught her reading Harry Potter recently. It's a good thing to get caught reading. And the other one who just struggled with reading for a really long time recently has been the kid that I go upstairs at midnight and she's in bed reading with her lights on. And I'm like, hey, I'm glad you're reading, (laughs) but you really need to get some sleep. You also need to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I think comics is what helped bridge that. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the medium. Uh, I, th- I think that we're, I mean, they're seeing a lot more of that middle grade type comics. Yeah. Uh, publishers are, they're, they're realizing that there's Scholastic a demand for that. Scholastic has been really good about yeah. you know, finding that kind of content. The, I think it's the Provo Library. They do mm-hmm. like a little tiny mini Comic Con every year. Oh, that's and they, cool. And they bring in a keynote speaker. Yeah. Somebody that's done comics. That's where the idea for this podcast started, was mm-hmm. it, Pat? Mm-hmm. Um, they had, he's an Asian-American. I think that's the guy that's writing the Avatar comics. Gene Luen Young. Yeah, that's the one. And I, I hopefully I'm saying his name right. But yeah, he's, he's a fantastic yeah. writer. And so he was the keynote. And afterwards, I was hanging out with Jess Smiley. And he's mm-hmm. like, we need to do a podcast together. And I said, that's a good idea. 
out loud. And in my head, I was like, that's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot of work, but, but, yeah. but here I am still doing go. it. So I know, it's a great idea for a podcast to have people call in and leave messages. What a great that idea. That was Jess's really idea. Really fun idea. He's really into the audience participation yeah. side of comics. Well, he, he's, I can always tell that that guy is thinking up cool stuff. He t- what a, what a, what a great mind. Got an email from him the other day. He's got a new book coming out. Cool. So I don't know what it is yet, but cool. But go buy it. Yeah. Yeah. We have the one that he did about making comics mm-hmm. and I've, I've read that with my kids cause, and, and that's got so them interested in that. That's basically what we would do with him. Mm-hmm. He would monthly, we would meet at the Dragon's Keep mm-hmm. local comic book shop and we would do a comic jam and it was collaborative improvisational comics making. Okay. And so... Sounds fun. And everybody's invited, so it was all art skills levels. And it really didn't matter if you're a really good artist, because when you only have four minutes... Right. It doesn't matter. It's like Pictionary. Yeah. And so it was just different ways of drawing a panel and passing it to the next person. And just like every time... I don't know how he did it, but he always had ways of spicing it up and making it different. Yeah. So one time he just brought in this whole package of sticker googly eyes mm-hmm. and he's like okay you got to use this on panels one three and five <laughs> <laughs> so and and we did all these just great great comics. way to get it was so fun juices flowing doing that he's his health hasn't been good lately so we kind of yeah. stopped doing that he's been kind of stuck in bed for a while so get better jess yes may you get feeling better <laughs> yeah. as soon as is humanly possible hopefully the doctors can figure out what it is that's the problem they they don't even know what it is oh, that's it's so rough. It is. And I, for somebody that's been in that much pain for that long, he's had, you know, at least publicly right. such a good attitude about it. Yeah, so, he has. I mean, he's a hero yeah. in my I completely eyes. agree with that. So over Christmas, we had kind of a family reunion down in St. George. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I sneaked away one night to go see Penn and Friends. So Teller had a, a surgery recently. And so he couldn't perform in the show. And so Penn has been bringing in some magic friends of his. Mm-hmm. So we went and saw Penn and Friends. And so it was oh, okay. the Penn and Teller show, but it was Penn, Penn and Friends. And Friends, yeah. And uh, they had kind of thrown these shows together based on, you know, their different tricks. And they got together and did these things. Oh, that's and kind of interesting. It was really fun yeah. uh, to go see that show. I've been a Penn and Teller fan since I was pretty young. According to their big wall in their theater there that has their history... Yeah. They started working together one year before I was born. Okay. So they've been around. They've been around for a while. For quite a while. Like, got to talk to Penn briefly after the show. Oh, cool. And it was just so fun to see. Penn's such an interesting guy because he's just so honest in his thought. And he brings that out in his show. Mm-hmm. He's a libertarian. And so he talks about our different freedoms. It's interesting the way he incorporates that into a show. Yeah. Without being preachy. He just talks about it. Yeah. But it's like incorporated into these tricks. Interesting. Uh, and it's really cool. I refer to him as my favorite atheist. <laughs> I'm not an atheist at all. But of all the atheists out there, Penn's my favorite. <laughs> just the way that he talks, um, you know, I can see where he's coming from. And I have, a, I have mad respect for the guy. Even though we don't see eye to eye on all these, you know, everything. Right, yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. And I think we need more of that in the world. I'll just, yeah, you know, I completely I, agree. I think there's way too much. <laughs> there's too much divisiveness. Too much focusing on what's different about us. I, I completely agree. I, I I think that if most people, if you were to sit them down in a room and, and could get them talking to each other about things other than the things that are different about them, I'd find that they have so much in common. Right, yeah. And that we all really deep down, most of us want the same sorts of things. We're Absolutely. just trying to get there in different ways. And, yep. and, and maybe maybe we can reach across and, and help each other a little bit more in collaborating. The, this whole my way or the highway mentality is so hurtful for um, any kind of collaboration. Anybody who's in, in comics or in movies and things knows how much we need to collaborate to get anything done. And when something is off and somebody is not collaborative, things go off the rails. And so I I wish that there was a lot in the world. So that's the call here from, you know, us. Yeah. I more understanding. I came up with this thing a few months ago and I was so excited about it that I went out and I got the Instagram handle, the Mm -hmm. Facebook page, the URL, everything that I could think of, like 
the Gmail address, just everything I would need to put this thing together. By the time I post this, it'll probably be February. Mm-hmm. The idea is collabuary. Oh, okay. So the, use the hashtag collabuary. Use the hashtag. Get together with someone. Make something. Do something together. And then post your progress. Post the final. Post you know everything you can yeah. about it. And use the hashtag collabuary. So what that, a fun I'm idea! I'm trying to get that going. Yeah, I like that idea. So hopefully. Hopefully I can get that going and, and make it a thing. And if there's any month that could use a little bit of, uh, you know, love, it's February. Right. <laughs> oh, I just realized that, that that was double double meaning, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but in February, it's cold around here. And it's just like March cannot get here soon enough. I've enjoyed our talk. Yeah, this, this has been, been fun great. chatting. Um, yeah. So uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank show. you for inviting really me. Appreciate it. It's been fun to chat about comics and, and audio things and movies and all, the, all these other things. Thanks for being on. Yeah, you're and, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Fun. It's been great. Thanks uh, for having me on, Richard. <laughs>